Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at college volleyball in six rotations, proudly sponsored this week by the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union, where by just listening to this show, you're eligible to be a member. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. This week, the show also presented by Bison Incorporated. We are down to the final 16 teams in the 2023 college volleyball season. And after today, it'll be down to eight. Can Nebraska keep rolling into the final four? We'll preview each of the three teams joining the Huskers at the Devaney Center today. And we'll get deeper into each of the other regionals when we bring back our friend Lee Feinswag, the publisher of Volleyball Magazine. But first, thanks for keeping up with us on social. You can always find us on Twitter at VolleyballPod. You can email the show at VolleyballState at gmail.com. And we are always the proud part of the Podcast House Media Podcast Network. You can find us and all the great Podcast House shows at podcasthousemedia.com. And if that is not enough, you still want to hit us up individually. You can reach out to me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon. And you can find me on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. And feel free to check out all of my articles are available without a paywall right now at huskersillustrated.com. Wow, giving it away, giving yeah. the people what they want. What what can people find uh, coming up soon under the Lincoln Arneal byline? Uh, well, well, I will have coverage of Nebraska's uh, regional matches. I have we have I published a preview yesterday about uh, the Georgia Tech match and how our thoughts on uh, playing at one p.m. So you have a few hours to read <laughs> that, but uh, still not the uh, earliest Nebraska's ever played a Sweet Sixteen. Oh match. goodness, no! Even last year, well, last year was earlier. But there, we, Cook referenced one that was, I think it's Penn State that played at uh, in the a.m. Yep, the 2016 Sweet 16 match against Penn State was at 11 a.m. I want to say on a Friday because the regionals are Friday, Saturday back then uh, at the Devaney Center where Nebraska was a point away, faced two match points for getting swept at home. It was shocking. Well, last year they played at 11 a.m. too, but it was in Louisville, so that was 10 a.m. Central. But um, mm -hmm. they had strong opinions about that. We talked to John Cook, got his uh, thoughts on uh, how to solve this. So not very complicated. But today what we're going to talk about uh, Nebraska is playing in the regional round, uh, and they we have some questions. Want to answer some looming questions? What uh, what does this weekend look like for Nebraska? What do they need to do to succeed? What may be some areas where they could trip up? Like I trip up over my words. Uh, what what can they do? So it's we'll a good thing we're not asking you to talk professionally. Oh, my that's goodness. all right. That's a struggle we're getting through. Uh, then we'll talk to our good friend Lee Feinswag, a uh, Southern gentleman, to talk about some Southern teams coming to Nebraska, and we will. We're not going to take any risks this week. We're going to preview all three teams that are playing in the Lincoln Regional. So we'll start off with Georgia Tech in Rotation 3, who's Nebraska's opponent on Thursday. Then we'll talk about the other two teams in Lincoln. Rotation 4 will be Kentucky, the SEC champions, and their opponent in Rotation 5 is Arkansas. We'll talk about the Razorbacks. And then we will close up uh, talking in Rotation 6 about some intriguing other matchups from across the country. Uh, maybe some cleanup after what Lee talks about, just some other things that uh, are looming out there in the world of college volleyball. We're so, going to cover the final four from all angles so that you can enter next week, whoever makes the final four in Tampa as a, as a thoroughly educated and engaged fan, which is one of the things that we like to do here on this podcast. But hey, rotation one, we got to start it off right here at the Devaney Center in Lincoln. Um, we, we've talked about Nebraska, you know, all, all season long. I feel like there are some burning questions that are out there that are, you know, depending on how they're answered, depending on what the answers are, uh, are going to determine whether or not Nebraska is going to be able to to get through this regional this weekend and head to the uh, and head to the final four. You you made up a, a, a nice list here, and I was able to add a little bit, Lincoln. Do you want to start with the, with our first one? Nebraska's yes. serving has kind of been hot or cold 
all year long. Um, and and what exactly is the impact of serving going to be on the matches this weekend? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You look at uh, Nebraska serving airs just piled up by the dozens. It felt like for a lot of the matches earlier this season, uh, there, Nebraska had a streak of five or six matches, maybe more than that, where they were double digit service errors uh, in a row. However, last weekend, Nebraska, it seemed like they turned a corner too against Long Island. They had seven aces versus six errors. And then the next night against Missouri, they had five aces and four errors. So I think that Nebraska only maybe once, maybe twice all year had more aces than errors. And they did it back to back nights. Of course, measuring serving is not just done by aces mm-hmm. and airs. I mean, it's how much you get the other team out of rotation, kind of force their issue or limit their offensive capabilities. But that's the easiest yeah. way how, how, how to measure it, too. So I, I looked this up real quick. I actually this is one part of the show where I can be slightly useful um, in statistic tracking. At one point this year, Nebraska had eight straight matches where they had eight. double digit serving airs. And and yeah, I, I just noticed, you know, from my memory that this past weekend, Nebraska wasn't really high error from the service line against Long Island and Missouri. But I think they also weren't that aggressive. Um, I think Nebraska might have swung back the other way right now where, you know, I know they hit a bunch of aces, especially Bergen Riley was really excellent serving to start the Missouri match. But, uh, you know, against teams that have big hitters like Georgia Tech and Kentucky, you need to serve aggressively to get them out of system and and keep that setter off the net. And I think Nebraska might have taken their foot just off the gas a little bit, which is fine when you, you know, feel like you're blocking your defense can can pick up the slack and you're just trying not to give away points. But, you know, just just one player sticks out in my mind. Kennedy Orr still is comes in as a serving specialist and feel like maybe she has not been the most aggressive serving. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we were to find out that Harper Murray has been told to to kind of, hey, just focus a little bit on keeping the ball in. Um, we're not seeing her sales serves long as, as high frequently as, as she has in the past. So it's really a fine line to walk between yeah. serving aggressively and also, you know, serving accurately. There was a couple times where Maisie Bozinger came in for Harper Murray, uh, during the week last week where she was the serving specialist for Harper. Uh, and to me, Harper, I mean, she serves well i think in big moments too just like she plays her offense too but a lot of the times if just takes a little bit of unfocused uh mental state to uh serve it into the net or just take or serve or serve it long that seems to be the more so i think john cook mm-hmm. is more willing to live with those serves that are slightly long mm-hmm. than into the net too so because yeah. if, if it's long it's just a little bit flat but if you're not even giving yourself a chance to get mm-hmm. it over well if it's long you're you're still putting the opposing team at a decision point they can yeah. decide to play it you could get a bad touch off of it. And, you know, even if half the serves that it would end up going a foot long end up being played, well, you know, th- then you still got yourself a chance at the point. You, you don't make your opponent do anything if you serve the ball into the net. Um, they just get an automatic point without having to do anything. So, yeah, you'd always rather be, you know, a little bit long, a little bit wide than than serving in the net. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a progress. I I think you're, you're right. Nebraska did back off a little bit, too, but they need to crank it up against Georgia Tech and uh, Arkansas or Kentucky to get them out of out of system and out of their comfort zone a little bit too. So uh, that's kind of so keep an eye on serving. Serving's been a big storyline for this team. Uh, another storyline too is will the block show up? There's been matches this year where Nebraska they just don't not do not start aggressively at the net and don't record a block for maybe a long time into the first set. Uh, some of that has to do with personnel and who's available. But mm-hmm. will Nebraska's block show up? Because it 
it needs to, much like the serving. If you need to impose your will mm-hmm. a little bit in physicality against a good team across the net. Well, and serving and blocking are are interconnected um, because if you let the, uh, an opposing team be in system and that setter can go wherever she wants with the ball, you can run a fast offense and the ball can beat the block and you can hit through seams. Um, with the two teams, and, and we'll break them down individually here in a little bit, but Georgia Tech and Kentucky um, and Arkansas, though Kentucky is the, the team I'm expecting uh, to make it to the regional final. They have really outstanding pin hitters. And, you know, let's let's throw Arkansas in there as well, because their pin hitters carry the load. Um, they they aren't just big and physical, even though they are. They know how to to hit against big blocks. They can tool. And this is one area where I think Nebraska struggles sometimes is you don't need to get a stuff block like Nebraska piled up 14 of them against Missouri. But your block needs to get good touches so that you can keep the ball alive and start your transition game. And there are times where Nebraska uh, just the the middles are not able to close to the pin. The pin blockers don't get fully outside to the pin. They leave a lot of line sometimes. And I know some of that strategy. But when you leave a lot of line, you're also leaving your outside hand able to get tooled. And so, you know, this is just not the strongest blocking Nebraska team in recent memory. And they need to be you know, at a respectable level, at least against Georgia Tech and then either Kentucky and Arkansas. Yeah, and they'll be tested a lot by Georgia Tech, too, because Georgia Tech runs a 6-2, as we'll talk about later, too. So they always have three hitters out there. You can't really take a rotation off when the setter's in the front row and know that that slot isn't going to be, uh, there isn't going to be an attack coming from where the setter's position is. So it'll really stress Nebraska's block and kind of dealing with having three attackers at the net the entire time. So the block's got to show up. Husker Middles, Becca Alec, and Andy Jackson have to be big, as well as your your pin blockers, and that includes Bergen Riley too. Um, where you know she she's a decent blocker. It's certainly not the strongest part of her game. I think uh, for Nebraska to have a great weekend in advance to the Final Four, Bergen Riley is going to have to play one of her best matches defensively, both at the net in blocking and also playing that right back defender in the in the back row. You know she's not going to be to the level of what Nicklin Hames was as a back row defender just yet, but. You know, she's going to be able to handle some balls uh, in transition that that's going to start, um, you know, Nebraska coming back with some out of system opportunities. So defensively, Nebraska is going to have to step it up a little bit more than than what they were um, than what they played out last weekend. The next question, we, we mentioned this in the open. Nebraska is playing at 1 p.m. on Friday. And Lincoln, I don't know. Is this the earliest they've played all year or did they play an early season match like at noon or one o'clock? They played Rutgers on Sunday at noon and East, East Coast time. So 11 a.m. That's Central, right. Noon Eastern. That was the only time I was just looking over the agenda, the, the schedule. And so mm-hmm. one time they played earlier. So, you know, the early afternoon start time, a time that Nebraska is not accustomed to playing at, especially on a Thursday um, this is going to put Nebraska out of its routine a little bit. And, and usually you have a home court advantage in the NCAA tournament, largely not just because of your crowd, but because of a routine that you're familiar with. You sleep in your own bed, you dress in your own locker room um, now, and you play at a familiar start time. Well, Nebraska is not playing at a familiar start time now. So, you know, is everybody going to be up and, and have their Starbucks and, and be amped up, ready to go. And that carries over to the crowd as well, because, you know, we know there are times where the Devaney Center crowd, big as it is, um, can, can be a little sleepy. And this is, you know, this is, everyone's got to be on deck. Everyone's got to be fired up. And that includes the crowd. If, uh, if Nebraska is really going to have a home court advantage on Thursday. Yeah. We just talked to John Cook earlier this afternoon and he uh, called on uh, governor Pillen to uh, get some sort of executive order to allow everyone to take some PTO and, get to Devaney Center on time and 
and make sure that they're there loud. And he, he expected some students to uh, start lining up about 6 a.m. or something like that. Just anecdotally, um, I, I talked to several people just in my in my day job about rescheduling meetings uh, on Thursday afternoon. And they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We we want to watch the match. We don't want to have a meeting time. Um, I still have one coworker who's adamant about meeting at one o'clock on Thursday. So that was a that was a tentative calendar um, <laughs> acceptance. And, and we'll see just how fired up they are to, to meet on Thursday uh, afternoon at one o'clock. Otherwise, I'm, I'm going to be late being able to tune in. Um, next, is anything more you want to you want to add no. on start time? Yeah, and, and, you know who I feel bad for, too. And I think they're a little more used to it because the Big East has more start times like this. Uh, Creighton has to play at is it 11 a.m. Central or is that noon Central? But that Creighton Louisville match is the first match of the day. 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. Yeah, that's right. And I think, too, um, our pals up in Wayne um, in the D2 Elite Eight are also playing an early morning match they're playing uh, cal state los angeles out in uh, pennsylvania and i think 11 a.m is... 11 11 central so it's they'll play at noon they play cal state la at noon on uh thursday. on noon eastern so yeah i mean you're gonna have all of the nebraska teams who are playing on thursday be finished up by four o'clock most likely yeah we'll see if that we'll see if it's a uh, happy afternoon happy happy hour or yeah. if it's a, happy uh, dinner or sad dinner we sad, don't know sad, sad nap take that sad nap uh, our last question in this rotation uh, is the question that we've been asking for a couple of weeks now. It's about Lindsey Krause, Nebraska's outside hitter who injured her ankle in practice about a month and a half. Maybe it's even been two months at this point ago. Um, hasn't played since then. Is she going to play this weekend? Uh, Lincoln, were you able to find out anything at the media availability on Wednesday about this? She is. I, my guess is she's not going to play Thursday. Cook said that she means she's going through practice, going through most of practice, but not able to go through the entire practice. I think that's what his kind of judgment, uh, whether mm -hmm. or not she is she is able to go and handle that uh, the stress on the ankle. But she is playing. She is practicing. But I would not expect her to see her Thursday, mm -hmm. Saturday. We'll see. But I, the way Cook talked, it sounded like. It is unlikely. Well, definitely will not see her Thursday, is my guess. Yeah. And unlikely we'll see her on Saturday. And I don't even know if she, if she had been going through practice, what exactly you're looking for in those practices to, to ensure that she's at a level where you feel comfortable playing her, right? Like, what, what would you even need to see to know that um, she was going to be a net positive for your team if you put her in? Because not only has she not jumped and hit, she hasn't passed, she hasn't served in a month and a half. Um, at least in a competitive yeah. environment. Yeah. So, you know, Allie Batenhorst, you have ridden with her for, for the last two months. Um, you know, at this point, do you, do you shake things up? Would do you even run the risk of, of changing your lineup at this point? But, you know, the reason we're even discussing this is Lindsay Krause was really starting to come on right before her injury. She was hitting above 300, which as an outside hitter is, is really exceptional. And as we covered on the show last week, Nebraska's outside hitter position just has not been as productive and has been a little more high error than the the pin hitters of the the rest of the championship contenders. And I could argue as we go through, you know, a preview of each of the three teams that Nebraska has the least productive outside hitter duo of any of the four teams in, in this regional here in Lincoln, because there are some outstanding pin hitters that Georgia Tech, Kentucky, and Arkansas are bringing to the Devaney Center. And Nebraska's got to at least play them to a draw there. 
Yeah, they need they need production from the outside hitter, and they'll get they'll get the, what they always do from Merritt Beeson, and the middles will hopefully anything you get from them is a bonus. But the outside hitters just not only need to terminate, but need to cut down on errors to have a productive uh, showing against Georgia Tech and the second match if Nebraska gets there too. So uh, that that's uh, that question. Uh, the last question we have here too is a little bit of anomaly. We're talking about the scheduling quirks and the weird kind of uh, setup for the regionals. The other one. Uh, I assume this is the host choice, but Nebraska is playing the first match on Thursday uh, against Georgia Tech. And then after Nebraska, Kentucky and Arkansas play. Usually when you have these double headers, you mm-hmm. always have the host team play the second match. So the crowd, I, I would doubt very empty. much, actually, if it was the host decision, this is a decision to put Nebraska at 1, 1 p.m. That is strictly based on a TV schedule because be on, yeah. Nebraska and Georgia Tech is on ESPN2. Uh, that's going to be the feature match of that time slot. Uh, the other match, Arkansas, Kentucky, I think is on ESPNU. Correct. Um, and so, you know, the, the whole reason why this regional is being played at the times that it is, is, is to fit a TV lineup that goes all day from, you know, 11 a.m. all the way through probably what, 1030 at night or whenever Stanford's first match finishes up. Yeah, they're, they're supposed to start 1030 Central, so it'll be a long day. Nebraska isn't the only region that's doing this. Wisconsin and Penn State are playing at six o'clock. And they'll be followed by Purdue and Oregon. So two of mm-hmm. the four regions are having the host team play that first match, which uh, if they win, if, if, if the host wins, which you hope they do, uh, a lot of teams, people may be more inclined to stick around and watch to see who they get yeah. to face off against. And uh, there may be some uh, with Purdue and Oregon, there's a little more perhaps interest in another Big Ten and a future Big Ten member. Uh, but and with Nebraska situation, Whenever their match gets over, people may need to get back to work. <laughs> or I think, I think pick up pick up kids from school. Or yeah, exactly. Go, go live the rest of their lives. I, I think the crowd is going to be, at least from the, the fans that attended the first match, it's going to be pretty sparse for the second one. Although I do expect Kentucky and Arkansas to bring, you know, some some fired up, if not, you know, enormous cheering sections to this. Like family is going to travel. You'll have uh, pet bands travel. Student groups might travel. And so it won't, you know, it won't be a morgue in there. but. Um, I think a lot of the Nebraska match fans, uh, win, lose, or draw, are going to head home, head back to work uh, after the, the Huskers match against Georgia Tech. They don't even stay to the end of Nebraska matches. They're they're leaving at uh, twenty two. Oh yeah, and, uh, trying to beat that traffic. So hey, we could stick, we could do around. an entire we could do an entire segment on my saltiness uh, about this. As I was there on Saturday and I saw people in the row in front of us stand up to leave when Nebraska was up like twenty two twenty one in Game Three. I'm like, you got the, the game's still happening. This this is anyone's match. Oh, yeah. This that happened. What last? Uh, I remember this happening when Nebraska went five again against, yeah. against a team, or maybe it was just four when they against Kentucky. Just the the fact that people feel the need to oh well this match is over going to go is uh, it blows my mind. But Oregon, hey, Oregon, you, yeah, the same thing you, happened like in Illinois too. So my advice is stick around, beat the traffic yeah. by staying longer. Exactly, it's your money. You paid your your ticket. You can do whatever you want, but um, just never not gonna blow me away. Um, The University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union is now a proud supporter of Husker Volleyball and their fans. And now they can say that they are proud to sponsor Volleyball State. And we say thank you so much to the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union for supporting this show. We know there's a lot of alumni, fans and friends who listen to Volleyball State. And if you're an alum of any University of Nebraska campus, that's UNO, UNK or the University of Nebraska Medical Center, or if you have a family member who's an alum or hey, even if you're just a big Husker fan, 
you can become a member of the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union. My family is actually uh, members of the credit union. We've used them for lots of banking services and loans. So I personally am a satisfied uh, University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union customer. Membership in the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union has benefits like these. Personal service. A real person is going to pick up the phone and answer it. When you call, they're going to be there to help. Plus all the convenient online options as well. They've got a newly updated website and a mobile app, just like the big banks where you can bank from anywhere. Members also get low interest rates on loans like home equity, refinancing, and auto loans. Never any added fees. And their staff is committed to make banking easy for you. If you're in Lincoln, they have two locations in Lincoln. You can stop in downtown just off the UNL campus at 17th and P, or they're in Central Lincoln. If you find that more convenient, they're at 52nd Street, just north of O, just behind the Hy-Vee and the Barnes & Noble that's right there in Lincoln. And you can always find complete details, become a member, and access your accounts anytime online at nufcu.org. Thank you so much to the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union, not only for supporting volleyball, but for supporting us at Volleyball State. Now we move on to rotation two with our good friend Lee Feinswag, who covers all things volleyball at volleyballmag.com. Uh, we talked to him earlier this year. He watched Nebraska play a couple road matches, but he uh, he pays attention, has his pulse. He types up every single box score at every, every single day. So he has a good uh, idea of what each team's bringing. So we appreciate He's a true sicko. Us. We talk yeah, about volleyball sickos. Sicko. Lee Feinswag is a true volleyball sicko. We brought him back, our first repeat guest on Volleyball State, editor, publisher, full-time guru of Volleyball Magazine, Lee Feinswag joins us again. Lee, thank you so much for being with us again today. A lot of pressure. I mean, you know, if I'm going to be back-to-back here, you know. you. Uh, I guess maybe the pressure's off because we we already chose you to uh, to come back and be the second guest. The pressure was on us to uh, choose a good guest, and we couldn't think of any anyone better. So maybe that's, uh, that's on us. Yeah, the Volleyball State uh, repeat guest shirt is in, in the mail. Mm-hmm. That's you can nice. Find, that's good. You can find all the great stuff Lee <laughs> and his team are working on. Uh, Volleyball Magazine's got great coverage of the NCAA tournament at VolleyballMag.com, including Lee's great chat with Emily Eamon, breaking down the regionals that went up on Tuesday, I believe. Um, has an article about Kentucky on the site as well. Lee, you've got a bird's eye view of this sport as we're starting Sweet 16 weekend. Which region is the most interesting to you? You know, I can I won't pick chalk, but I'll say chalk for that. All four of them are just so intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, just great. Um, I mean, in Pittsburgh, Louisville, Creighton, that's good. You know, that's going to be worth the price of admission. That's mm-hmm. just going to be such a great match. The, the, the Louisville, the most intense team and just seems so mean. And Creighton, they're so happy. They're like little puppy dogs. They both play <laughs> like with such intensity. And then Pittsburgh, Washington State, Pittsburgh's great. Washington State, when they're hitting on all cylinders, is just great. Unfazed. Yeah. Yeah. I went and watched them and they were, they were horrible and they still just played. <laughs> they balled out. They had a good time and they, their season was on the brink and now they're hot again. Um, and big and big and strong. Nebraska, Georgia Tech, you know, Nebraska should win that. That should be maybe of all the, fir- of these, uh, first eight matches, the theoretical most lopsided. But man, when Georgia Tech's on a roll, Georgia Tech's good. In Kentucky, Arkansas, you know, you've got it. Look, Kentucky should beat Arkansas, but if you've watched Arkansas, you love Arkansas because mm-hmm. I use the word diminutive a bunch. You know, you got a There's five a little seven engine outside that could. hitter. Yeah, five seven outside hitter and Jillian Gillen, who's just got she's spunk. She reminds me of the old, you know, Mary Tyler Moore show. And Lou Grant looked at Mary Tyler Moore and said, You got spunk. <laughs> I hate spunk, you know, and uh, but that, and then they got a five ten outside Taylor Head and a five ten setter and a five seven libero, and 
they got this middle is like six, two and towers over all of them. It's hilarious, but that, you know, Kentucky, Arkansas should be really good. Um, and then mo- moving down, you know, Wisconsin, Penn state, I mean, Penn state beat Wisconsin. Now, of course I was at without Anna Schmack and Wisconsin's going to play at home and probably pound them into submission, but um, it's big 10, it's two big 10 teams playing for a third time. And then Oregon, Purdue, you know, you know, that's just going to be flat out wide open. Purdue yeah. mm-hmm. is just always December ready. Oregon, for some reason, under the radar, nobody talks about Oregon going to win the national championship. They just, they just, all they've been is fifth, sixth, seventh all year long, you know, in the rankings and the RPI and people, is, you know, you hear anybody say Oregon can win the national championship? If you, and, mm-hmm. and most people haven't seen them because it's, you know, especially like, and, unless we're appealing to some people on the West Coast. I mean, heck, I'm a dead when Oregon plays, you know? And, yeah. Uh, I've watched and, and you can't exactly watch them on TV well, easily either. And when you do watch well, them, it hurts your eyes because of the court they play on. Good, good point. Thank you, Phil <laughs> Knight. Um, you know, and, and the Matt Knight Arena. It, if you ever get a chance to go there and watch, it does look worse in person, but it really oh, is fun to I watch in Oregon. It was no, it's it is better in person. I'm joking. Oh, yeah. um, Texas, Tennessee. I think you got two teams that are going to um, bloody each other up. It's going to be serious, and then. Stanford, Arizona State, on paper, you go, Stanford should be cruising into the Final Four. And they went to Arizona State two weeks ago and just got humbled, mm-hmm. you know, not just swept, destroyed. I think the score was 16-21-14. And uh, are you kidding me? Stanford, on paper, pound for pound, is the best team. Pound mm-hmm. for pound, player for player, rotation for rotation, best team. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm just telling you, you if you if you eyeballed it and said, okay, I can have one lineup, and you didn't care what seed they were, what school they were, what uniform they were, just said, I could take these guys. I'm taking those guys. Yeah. Yeah. You, so now you, that I've covered everything, okay, nice right. to see you guys. Good job. <laughs> uh, you you mentioned that Nebraska Georgia Tech is one of the you said one of the more lopsided there. If Georgia Tech is going to upset Nebraska, how are they going to do it? Ooh, Tamaro Tanay can just go off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they, she's one of those players who can, who can carry somebody. And uh, um, they have a couple other players like that too. Um, Bertolino. Um, and uh, they're, they're versatile. They also have defensive lapses. They're a lot like Nebraska. They can go to sleep at the wheel mm-hmm. without, but without as quite as much talent as Nebraska has. Look, it, it would be an upset. But I, I think of any of those any of those eight matches that we just talked about, if either team wins, nobody could say they were super surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, but I think of of all of them, I would say Nebraska is more favored against Georgia Tech than the other favored teams in the other seven matches in the first round. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, you know, Michelle Collier, their uh, Brazilian coach and their Brazilian assistant, who is just they're good, they're super well coached. Um, they're quick. They have all the pieces. And, uh, you know, they've been through the wars. You know, the ACC is better than, than we, we probably give it credit for. And the, the Big Ten's not as good. And so the Nebraska schedule in the Big Ten might not have been that much tougher than the ACC. I mean, you got to mm-hmm. play Louisville. you got to play Pittsburgh. you got to play Miami. I mean, NC State was good. Um, you know, uh, I know, you know, Duke was right on the edge. The ACC was pretty good this year. And so they're battle-tested. We watched your we watched your video breakdown with Emily uh, that went up on Tuesday on volleyballbag.com. Um a little bit of a surprise in, in my opinion, but I totally get it that you picked uh, Kentucky to win the Lincoln Regional. How do you think Kentucky's a different team now than when they first played Nebraska back in September and 
what's kind of let them grow and be on this upward trajectory throughout the season? Well, I don't know that Kentucky, I can't remember back then. You guys would remember. Was Kentucky healthy in that first match? I, th- I think all of the main early. players because, played yeah. in that September match, but like delay didn't do very much. There were two, yeah, there were two things that happened to them over the course of the season. One was Reagan Rutherford got hurt twice. She had an eye injury and then an ankle injury, and she's the go-to. I mean, she's their, just their stud. And they won without her. And they, they started playing really well. And the other is Brooklyn Delay. I mean, if I told you guys back when you saw Kentucky back in you know, the early season, Brooklyn Delay was going to be a star. I mean, she's not just good. She's a star. Hmm. Um, uh, Azani Teeler, most underrated player maybe in the country. Pretty funny. A couple of years ago, they came here and uh, they, they were playing LSU. So they stayed at a downtown Baton Rouge hotel. And I went and met her. We sat at this table across from each other. And Azani Teeler is about a 5'10 middle. And she can jump with anybody. And she's just fierce. And she's good. And I bet you've ever seen her. She's just muscular as hell. And she was wearing a tank top as we're sitting there at the table. And I go, I got to ask you, what about the guns? And she goes, I've had these since I was like five or six. Everybody asks me that. <laughs> <laughs> kids, you know. But uh, look, you, you to win the national championship, they're, they're, you have to have X number of elements. And they have a great setter. Um, Emma Grown, in a great, I don't know if great's the right word. I don't know how many great set. Kemi Miner is a great setter at Stanford. There's some really good setters after that. Um, but uh, Emma Grown's really good. The libero, Eleanor Bevan, is elite. She's really, really good. And, uh, you know, we, you know, remember that Pittsburgh Steelers, they used to call it, you know, like all the linebackers, for example, or they talk about, you know, LSU, the DBU. Well, we're mm-hmm. America. We're libero. You, we got, we got, <laughs> we got so many liberos. My gosh, are there good liberos? And in this tournament, is just loaded with good liberos. But Kentucky has no rotations that you look at and go, oh, they're totally susceptible. That's the thing about Stanford too. No rotations where you're totally susceptible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of a gut feeling. You know, uh, Kentucky's won eight, 18 in a row, I think. Um, if you've watched them, you know, they're just, they're not the team that you saw earlier. They're really, yeah. really good. And you guys will see them up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Um, on Thursday, uh, I think, does it Nebraska play first in that one? Yeah, they do. that's right. Nebraska, yeah, Georgia Nebraska plays play first. first. Yeah, and then Kentucky, Arkansas. So make sure you guys don't make the mistake of getting caught writing the first match story and not being able to watch the second match. People, that's one of the hard things about sports writing. You've got to be able to do both. So tell me, you know, post the early. And then um, come back and tighten it up later. <laughs> now, you don't want to miss that match. I think it's going to be great. For sure. Uh, another one of the minor upsets you picked was Tennessee over Texas. It, we've seen from Texas a lot of the times where they get in trouble is they will. Well, sometimes they get in trouble is dropping that first set. I think they've done that nine times this year. And they're six and three in those matches, too. Is I mean, is that kind of Texas as Achilles heel is those slow starts that allows other teams to get a little bit of momentum? Well, Number one, Texas lost Logan Eggleston. You know, she finally graduated. How, how good was she? You know, mm-hmm. things got cockeyed last year. Throw it up to Lo- Logan. You know, something mm-hmm. wasn't working right. Throw it up to Logan. Logan bailed out an awful lot of people mm-hmm. last year. You know, I mean, situations for Texas last year. I mean, she was just that good. There's a reason why she was the two-time VolleyballMag.com National Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, okay. And you also had Zoe Fleck, who transferred in as a senior libero graduate student libero and she wasn't good she was fantastic right mm-hmm. i mean you know so and then the setter 
Sage, good luck pronouncing her last name, who's now having a nice pro career, mm-hmm. was very capable. So you have that. You have those those three elements. Um, Asia O'Neill is probably the if you could pick any one player, we were doing a, a player draft. Okay, and right now, and let's say, all right, each of us gets a team and we each take a draft. You almost would be crazy if you didn't take Asia O'Neill first. She's that good. Hmm. But they can't get her the ball. Yeah. She doesn't. She she doesn't she doesn't have a lot of kills this year. She's got tons of blocks. And she's a gamer and she's serving great, but they can't get her the ball. So you've got a new setter and a new libero compared to, 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 to the last year's team. I mean, I think by the time you get to mid-December, I don't know if new is the right word, but they have to show me that they're capable of taking this team pass around to 16. And I, I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tennessee, another you know hot team, um, a lot of great pieces. In- in my mind, kind of a boring team to watch. I've watched them, and 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 you're like, there's probably other people out there. Say, I haven't watched Tennessee, or if you have, you don't, you can't name any of their players. But uh, from the Big Ten, Janessa Moore, one of those four players who got away from Ohio State because you know that well documented situation last mm-hmm. year. She was good for Ohio State, but she was kind of like the fourth wheel. She's having a great, great November and into December for a. Uh, Tennessee right now. She is flat out lighting it up. And they got a right side, a lefty Morgan Fingal, who's a lot like Reagan Rutherford for Kentucky, just can flat out fly in, do a bunch of stuff. They have real nice pieces, super well coached. Um, you know, so I, I just I just think Tennessee's probably better than Texas. Um, but you know, I'm not betting again. I don't bet on sports, but I w- I'm not betting mm-hmm. against Texas per se. I just if you, I've watched him. I've been there twice. I saw him get just crushed by Stanford mm-hmm. when I went. Now, that was early season two, but I watched him on TV a bunch. And they don't have they don't have the mojo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Uh one team that is never boring, it seems like, are the Oregon Ducks with with Hannah Pucas running that offense. If they're able to get by Purdue up in Madison, they're probably gonna face off with the Badgers in the regional final there, which I think is gonna be one of the most fast fascinating matchups of the tournament. How can Oregon beat Wisconsin? Can they? Yes, Oregon's got three really, really good pin hitters. So you've got Mimi Collier and uh, Morgan Lewis and Gabby Gonzalez. Oh, brain is it? Oh, oh, thank you. The other Ohio State person. So you got Mimi mm-hmm. Collier and Gabby Gonzalez, the other my, my, uh, Ohio State transfer on the outsides. And Morgan Lewis is probably the big X factor on the right side. She's really, really good. Doesn't get mentioned with the nation's elite. And you mentioned Hannah Pucas, who's a really, really good sitter. There are some people who tell you Hannah Pucas best setter in NCAA volleyball. You know, that's, uh, you know, I, I don't know, you know, and she's up there. Mm-hmm. And then um, Georgia Murphy, the libero, is really, really good. And then uh, Kara McGee and Carson Bacon, the middles are um, really nice. McGee can go off. McGee can get, they can get her the ball and she can go off. And so, Middle strength against Wisconsin. You know, on the other side, I mean, oh my gosh, you guys, Wisconsin right now. A couple of things. When they made the move, you know, they brought in Temi Tamasolera. She came from Northwestern, and mm-hmm. I thought she was a liability at outside hitter. And I thought moving Julio Orzol to Libero, I mean, gosh, you won a national championship with Orzol as the outside hitter. And mm-hmm. what you have now is in, in Temi somebody who can just go on ridiculous streaks. She's a terminator. Problem is sometimes she terminates for the other team. 
mm-hmm. she can ca- she carries them. Mm-hmm. She goes nuts. And then that, and and she's the L2 after Sarah Franklin, you know, who is, you know, Big Ten player of the year. The other thing is Orzol is the best libero right now. She's not, she, I'm not talking about one of the best liberos. I think she is the best libero in the country right now. Better Their than floor defense Gonzalez. has been so impressive in yeah. the times they played Nebraska. Better than Kylie Murr was at Minnesota. Better than uh, Katie Georgiatis at Houston. Um, you know, better than a bunch of the people we've mentioned here. She's great. And you know what she yeah. does? Unbelievable. She can. She not only passes well, she not only makes those spectacular plays, she controls the free ball better than anybody in the game right now. Now, that's a really subtle, non-recordable statistic, okay? But those two setters that Wisconsin has are just okay. They're not great setters. They're just really good setters who don't screw it up. And she gets to the free balls and makes it so that they don't have to move their hands from here to here. They're, they, the free balls are perfect. And that is such an incredible skill that she has. And I, I you, you guys, when you guys watch that, think about it in those terms. It's sure. incredible. Yeah. Anybody who, anybody who beats Wisconsin this weekend, I'll be stunned, yeah. you know, but that's how it could, that's how it could happen. And, and don't discount um, Oregon. You know, I mean, I think I made a pretty good case for Oregon. You know, mm-hmm. that should, sure. you know. And our, our good friend, uh, Dennis Punzel, had a good story about uh, Julio Orzel and learning how to dive because that's a kind of a hidden hidden trait there by uh, Liberos, too. And she really had to teach herself. But uh, the one match I want to talk to, we talked to uh, Kirsten Bernthal Booth uh, earlier this week. And mm-hmm. uh, Creighton, Louisville, I mean, uh, a lot of Nebraska connections there, especially with Kelly. Uh, uh, Danny Kelly, Busboom Kelly coaching the Cardinals. Um, can this Creighton team do it though? Can they break through and uh, get to get to elite eight for the first time in uh, several years and uh, knock off one of the big teams in the country? Nobody from Creighton's gotten hurt so far in the first two games of the matches of the tournament. You know, no, they, got like, all, they got the last, hurt earlier in the year. Yeah, find the all the wood year, knock on it. When you think of last year, right? Yeah. And the year before, I mean, how, how sad because those guys were good. They were mm-hmm. good. Look, let, let me let me put it to you a different way. If Creighton won the national championship, if we if we a week from Sunday said Creighton has just won the national championship, would you you'd be surprised, but would you be like gobsmacked as yes. they say as they say in England? Would I you would. Really, I don't really? mean that disrespectfully to Creighton, but when we're talking about Stanford and Wisconsin and Creighton winning the national title, yes, I would be very surprised. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there for you just to hear what you would say. I don't think they can win the national championship either. And, they, and for that matter, they shouldn't beat Louisville. Um, Louisville plays point for point more intensely than any team in the game. Hmm. They have, they have, and and I'm sitting on this story. I was trying to get it done today. I just can't get it done. So I need Louisville to beat Creighton so I can write the statement <laughs> story for my trip there on Friday. Um, Louisville is just involved in every play, every player. They don't take any plays off, more so than any team that I've seen in a long time. And that all revolves around Anna DeBeer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they just are dialed in like there's just and, and Anna DeBeer just will have she'll have none of it. You know, the the two players who I like the most the way they play for the same reason is they're not out there for the girly girl part. They're out there to play. And and yeah. they'll still they'll still go to the huddle at the end of every point. Wait, yeah, I want wait to tell you who the other player is. But they'll they'll you know at the end of every point, everybody comes together and you know they'll do a little dap and you know maybe maybe crack a smile. Anna DeBeer and Harper Murray. Harper Murray's not out there for the sorority. 
she she likes being around her teammates and all that stuff. But Harper Murray's out there to assassinate, and she is very good at it. You need you need both on women's teams, in my experience. Just from what yes. I've, you need the sisterhood and you need the yep. badass. And yep. if you don't, you can have one, but not the other, and and that can throw off the emotional equilibrium a little bit. But the sisterhood's got to be there, which I think is probably Merritt Beeson on this year's Nebraska team. But then you need the badass that you know can you know yep. get on people and hold them to account. And Anna DeBeer is yeah super fired 100%. on the well. But what if you only have half the word? What if you've only got sis? No, sis. Okay. Narcissus is, Norris is great. It's so She's nice to, to see her be a part of this tournament. This after, you know, we didn't know how long she was going to be out in the middle of the season. She's a great player. Yeah. She is mm-hmm. such a great player. Kendra Waits, a really, really good setter. Um, yeah, they, but, you know, Louisville's got all the pieces. Louisville doesn't have, uh, is when you talked about, um, the favorites, like I like Louisville to come out of that region. I think Louisville is mm-hmm. better than Pitt. Um, just all the pieces. Picking up Charity Looper from UCLA is having her best year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got those pins. You got, you know, Looper and DeBeer. God, they're so good. Just, uh, you know. Lee, if we were going to pick or ask you to pick a dark horse candidate to make it through this weekend and go to the final four. I just four, did. I just did. You right. laughed at me. You, Crane's your dark horse. Crane's your, is Crane your dark no. horse pick over? Um, <laughs> no, it, we, well, we, we've talked about every I mean, single team, it feels like, in this region. Yeah, is, yeah. is there a well, dark horse that you'd say, you know, if I had to put a long shot bet, if you were into sports gambling, outside of maybe one of the top one or two seeds in each region, that you could say, you know what, there's a path here for this team? Well, if you if you go by the one through 16 seeds, okay, so in that Pittsburgh region, you got number 12, Creighton, and number 13, Washington State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. So on paper, you know, you're looking. Um, I'd just be stunned if Georgia Tech beat Nebraska. That would be, you know, mm-hmm. one of them. Neither Kentucky or Arkansas should surprise us. You know, Penn State, in so many ways, has stayed under the radar all year. They weren't mm-hmm. seated, right? They mm-hmm. and, and, you know, their resume, they don't pass the eyeball test. They don't have the resume. They lost to, like, mind. Indiana, right? <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they can, um, you know. But, and they lost to uh, Nebraska twice, Purdue mm-hmm. twice. They lost to Michigan State. And yeah. There's just something about them. They just play. Um, how about how about if it were Purdue? Purdue, I could see. If yeah. you got Eva Hudson yeah. and uh, Chloe Shacoin, you got outsides like that, you have a puncher's chance at every single match. We've been saying it yeah. on this show for weeks. Mm-hmm. You got Raven Colvin in the middle. She's really good. The mm-hmm. setter, their name, uh, Taylor Anderson. Taylor yep. Anderson. Freshman. Yeah, she's, she's good. She's gotten yeah. better. And she's good. And Maddie Skimmerhorn is uh, a, a very, very good libero. And they're extremely well coached. Don't ever underestimate the coaching job that uh, Dave Shondell does. And, you know, now, have you guys watched Arizona State play? No. Very little. Um, once yeah. again, we, we know their opposite is an All-American level opposite. And they you know, sweep Stanford without being good, but mm-hmm. haven't been able to watch them very much this year. Yeah, I mean. Marta Levinska, and then I can't name anybody else on the team right off the top of my head, and I should. Now, she's great, and she yeah. can carry mm-hmm. them. But they're they they just they're really really well coached, really together, and it makes no sense. Their best player from last year is at Washington State, Imanovic. Um, they got a first year coach. They're a collection of ragtags, you know, and there they are, yeah. and just just really really good. So I didn't answer your question, but I gave you all sorts of things. You can spaghetti to throw <laughs> Everyone's against a dark the wall. Horse. We like Everybody. it. Everybody. There you we go. Like it. 
Well, thank you, Lee, for joining us. We appreciate your insight. Again, you could uh, check out all the articles. Hopefully, Lee has a couple extra days to uh, write all, everything he has working <laughs> in his head at volleyballmag.com. Uh, but thanks for joining us, Lee, and uh, enjoy the uh, regional semifinals and uh, Elite Eight. And in case they, the stories don't make it, so you got so all the listeners know. So I, I've got this Louisville story stockpiled that I just mm -hmm. put off and put off, never wrote it. And then the other one is about Washington State, mm. which runs their entire offense in the Iranian language of Farsi. And they have no but from Iran on their team. Uh, if Washington State can win and, yep, if Washington State can win and, and beat Pitt, you'll have that story Friday. Yinzer's a little bit of a foreign language, too, though, in Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good note to end on. So thanks again, you know, Lee. Thanks, Lee. Thanks again, Lee Feinswag, publisher of Volleyball Magazine. You can check out all their great content at volleyballmag.com. Into rotation three, let's finally dive deep into the teams that are coming to the Devaney Center for this weekend's regional, starting with Nebraska's first opponent, Georgia Tech, the Yellow Jackets, who we've kind of been following at a distance all year long just because they're interesting. Huskers oh. and Yellow Jackets are going to have first serve at 1 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. You can find this match on ESPN2, or if you don't want to bounce around your cable system or your YouTube TV, uh, all of these uh, matches that are going to be on the ESPN family of networks are going to be simulcast streamed on ESPN+. Plus. So yeah. if you're stuck at work and, and you have a TV that faces away, or a, not a TV, a computer monitor that faces away from the boss's office, uh, you can bring up ESPN Plus and, and watch the matches there. For sure. Yeah. Thanks to Natasha Richardson O'Neill, who pointed that out, sent us, sent us a nice email. So she mails at volleyballstate at gmail.com to give us that little tidbit. So we appreciate that. Georgia Tech enters the match 24 and 6. They finished 13 and 5 in the ACC. They were in, in the title race for most of the regular season. They kind of had a couple losses late. This is their fourth ever trip to the Sweet 16. So giving their resume. They got some big wins. Uh, they they beat Ohio State twice this year in Columbus in front of kind of a couple big crowds for uh, the Buckeyes there. Uh, that was when back before we knew how much Ohio State was going to struggle. They were still ranked at that point. But kind of their marquee win of the year, they beat Louisville 3-1. to one. So a big win for the Yellow Jackets there. Uh, they did have some their key losses. They lost to Miami. They just could not figure out the Hurricanes. Miami dominated them the second time they swept uh swept georgia tech uh they also lost to pit and then uh split their series with louisville they suffered a loss against louisville too so that's kind of the, what they bring into the match too they can be hot or cold at the time most times they've been hot because jeff as we know if you've been mm -hmm. listening all season they've been jeff's darling team from early early in the non -con. yeah georgia tech is really interesting to me and none of those losses we just mentioned are bad losses i mean miami was a tournament team Pitt and Louisville are are the fourth and fifth seeded teams in the country, so they've got a, an outstanding resume. Um, the the key to making Georgia Tech go are their outside hitters. Tamara Oten Tamara Otene, excuse me, is their leading attacker. Three point six kills a set. Bianca Bertolino averages right around three kills a set. As we mentioned earlier, uh, Georgia Tech runs a six two, so they run a two setter offense. A lot of times that means um, that you're passing with two. Or, you know, you're pulling an outside hitter back to in server to see you have to be able to pass well to run a six two. So if Nebraska is able to dial up the pressure from the service line, they can get them um, a little bit out of system. But this is a very balanced team that could give Nebraska trouble. Like every six two team, they're able to put up so, um, a, a solid offensive rotation in every rotation 
always with three attackers uh, in the front row. Uh, Tamara Otene, as we mentioned, their leading attacker, is a transfer from Illinois State, spent the first couple of uh, her years of her career there. She had 21 kills in their five-set win over Florida in the second round. Bianca Bertolino, who we just mentioned, also was a star in that match with 18 kills, 17 digs. Uh, we mentioned Georgia Tech can be kind of hot or cold. They're they're really um, they're a bit of a roller coaster team. You know, they can look really good and not so good, all kind of within the confines of the same match. So if you're Nebraska, you, you know, you have to be steady. You have to try to serve them out of system, and then you need to get blocks up on um, Otene and Bertolino. Neither of them are are really huge uh, players. I think. Uh, Otene might be 5'10". Uh, Bertolino is also a uh, sub six foot. They're not, you know, the biggest, the the tallest attackers in the world. But we saw with Missouri last weekend, Lincoln, some of those smaller attackers, they're the ones who know how to get kills uh, through skill. They know how to tool. They know how to hit crazy angles. And uh, if they run a fast offense, they can beat your block as well. Yeah, and they run a little different stylistically, too. We mentioned that 6-2. They sometimes revert to a 5-1 offense a little bit, too. But they have a big international flavor to them. Their coaching staff, uh, Claudio Pinheiro, is from Brazil. He, he's he been coaching in Brazil uh, since 2005. He was the former U23 head coach of the Brazilian youth national team. Uh, but then on the roster, too, they got three Brazilians. Otene is from New Zealand. Uh, they have players from Turkey and Argentina. Uh, their head coach, Michelle Collier, she she has a very extensive uh, international background, too. She played internationally mm-hmm. professionally. Uh, but they, they always have d- different, I mean, non-Americans, which I think is a different mm-hmm. stylistically, uh, stylistically yeah. play. I, I think that means a couple things. And and I was able to listen to uh, Jalen Reyes's post-match radio interview where he was talking about this after Nebraska beat Missouri uh, in the second round last weekend. Um, one, it means they're very experienced. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're if an internet, the best international players, a lot of times have been playing in some sort of club or semi-pro um, format since the early teens, which means they're often playing up on teams and they're playing, you know, players that are older than them for a while. So these are players that maybe have been playing um, a higher level volleyball at the age of 11 or 12 than their counterparts would have in the United States, which means if they're 21 years old now, you know, they would maybe be comparable to the skills or experience of a 23 or 24 year old uh, American player. So they're just a little bit more experienced. Also, this is a team that Nebraska is going to have to match their energy, um, especially when you look at some of the the, the su- South American countries or Latin America players. You know, passion is just sort of woven into the culture of the game. They're very, very up when they get kills. And, you know, that can be a little bit different than some of the Midwestern ethos you see uh, among, you know, teams like Nebraska, where where it's more steady and, and you're not, you know, you're, your emotions are not expressed as outwardly. And so, you know, that can take you in either direction. That could take you up and that can take you down. But if Georgia Tech starts to get hot, you know, they're going to be they're going to be talking and they're going to be rocking and rolling. They're going to be showing a lot of emotion. And that is energy. I think Nebraska is going to have to match, especially if, uh, you know, Georgia Tech runs off a run of four or five points and puts Nebraska in some trouble. And Volleyball State is also brought to you this week by Bison Incorporated. If you need competition quality volleyball equipment, contact the good sports at Bison Incorporated. This Nebraska-based manufacturer has the widest selection of indoor and outdoor systems available with your choice of carbon, aluminum, steel, hybrid, 
and portable volleyball systems. Did you know that in Volleyball Day in Nebraska, the teams played in Bison's freestanding Arena Junior? It's a great system that set up uh, that gets set up in the Memorial Stadium too. So if you're interested in figuring out how you can get some Bison equipment, call 800-247-7668 for help finding the perfect fit for your facility. Request a quote online or find a Bison dealer near you at www.bisoninc.com. All right. And we want to thank Bison Incorporated. Uh, they've been sponsoring the show for about a month now, and, and we really appreciate their support. On to rotation four, the big match that uh, people are going to be watching if they stick around the Devaney Center after uh, Nebraska and Georgia Tech. And we would encourage you to do that, at least until dinner time. Uh, Kentucky versus Arkansas. Let's take a look at Kentucky first. Lincoln, Kentucky might be the hottest team in the country right now. Uh, Kentucky and Arkansas are going to play at 3.30. This is their ninth trip to the Sweet 16. Of course, they won. They broke through and became the first SEC team to win a national championship back in 2020. That was up in Omaha. And Kentucky, of course, coached by former Husker assistant coach Craig Skinner. Kentucky has, has it rolling. They've won 18 straight matches. So this is not the team that Nebraska fans saw back on September 17th when the Huskers beat Kentucky 3-1. to And I think even in that match, there were some signs that this Kentucky team could be really good. I believe Nebraska won the first two sets. Kentucky came through and won game three before Nebraska was able to, to pull it out in game four. But Kentucky went 17-1 and in the SEC. The only conference loss they had was to a Tennessee team that is down at the other side of the bracket playing Texas in the Sweet 16. So this is an outstanding Kentucky team that's coming into Lincoln uh, on Thursday. Yeah, they're, I, I believe they owned the longest winning streak in the nation coming into this match, too. That, that Tennessee loss was early in the... Yeah, it was the their first, second first, SEC loss, or their second yeah. SEC match. Yeah, first weekend of a conference play. So, uh, like I said, being in the SEC, they, these teams have already played twice. Uh, Arkansas, I mean... Arkansas lost to him uh, in a five-setter in Lexington, and then Kentucky also won uh, in a sweep when they uh, in the rematch in Fayetteville. It was about a month apart, uh, those two matches, too. So Kentucky is absolutely loaded. Uh, the SEC freshman of the year, Brooklyn DeLay, uh, she averages 3.7 kills per set as an outside hitter. So uh, she's really emerged, too. I remember she she looked pretty good in moments too, but was not the featured attacker when Nebraska played mm-hmm. played Kentucky the first time. But she's really she kind had a of quiet match. I think she had up. like seven kills against Nebraska uh, in the in those teams' first meeting. And she had five attacks during that seventy uh, second rally. Uh, mm-hmm. No 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 kills, but she had five attacks during that seventy second rally against Nebraska in that first. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also feature Reagan Rutherford. She's a uh, grizzled veteran, I guess you could call her. Uh, she had 19 kills against Nebraska, and she's averaging 3.7 kills per set too. So she's very lethal. Mm-hmm. And one of, if if you watch Kentucky for a few years, she maybe I think she she one of the few remnants of that uh, national championship team left. I don't. She didn't play much. Mm-hmm. That it would have been her freshman year, but she's still one of the few people mm-hmm. still around from that national title team. Kentucky also has one of the best middles in the country. Um, Elise Getzinger who had a big match against Nebraska back in September. She had 14 kills when those teams played uh, back in September. Their other middle is also very good offensively. Ajani Teeler hit 406 on the season, which leads the SEC. And running the show is one of the best setters in the country. Junior setter Emma Grome was all SEC. She was actually SEC player of the year last season. Uh, and so Kentucky you know, had all the pieces to to have a team like this, which made you wonder how they started the season so slow. I think they were two and six maybe in their non-conference 
uh, before they got rolling the SEC play. So so don't let that slow start fool you. They And they're peaking at the right time. Uh, their second round win over Baylor, they hit 500 as a team, which was their high water mark for the season. Uh, Rutherford had 14 kills. DeLay had 13 kills in that match. And they're really experienced as well. You know, we talk about Nebraska being run by freshmen, sophomores, and transfers. Well, Kentucky has uh, seniors and juniors leading the way. Rutherford, Teeler, Getzinger, they're all seniors. Emma Grome and their libero, who's also very good, Eleanor Beaven, are juniors. So this is exactly the kind of team that'll make you sweat if you're Nebraska. If the Huskers are able to make it past Georgia Tech on uh, on Thursday, waiting in the regional final, this is a very, very worthy opponent. Yeah, would you say that, I mean, Yes, Craig Skinner comes from uh, the John Cook School of Coaching, too. I mean, they, the way they play reminds me of a Nebraska team. They got very good balance. They got good. They, they build their offense off or they build their team off of blocking and defense. Uh, so we, we, when, you, when you've seen them, Jeff, do they remind mm-hmm. you of Nebraska much? Well, what, what, I, what always sticks out to me about Kentucky is they always have a great setter. It mm-hmm. seems like they always have a great libero. And they've always got at least one outside hitter that's in a, at an all-American level. So they build their team kind of, I would say, studs at those three positions, which they're really good ball handling. Their setter's always great. I remember Madison Lilly might have even been the national player of the year. You're nodding your head. Yes, she was. And, you know, she was one of those Under Armour All-Americans in high school, uh, I think from the Kansas City area, came in and was great. Uh, Emma Grome is also a wonderful setter. So, yeah, like they have stars at the positions where you expect to have stars. Yeah, Avery Skinner was a, a great um, outside hitter um, for Kentucky that helped them win the national title. And so, yeah, like they're strong at the positions where you really need to be strong. And I think Nebraska tries to do that as well. Yeah, so that, that'll be the Kentucky Wildcats. They play in the other semifinal. Their opponent for that round, we've already hinted about it, uh, is the Arkansas Razorbacks. Arkansas went 27-5 and this year, 15-3 uh, and in the SEC. Uh, and this is their first trip to the Sweet 16 since 1998. Uh, so we mentioned kind of their, their records, too. I mean, they have five losses, but again, not a real, not, not a real bad loss amongst them. They, they started the year... Uh, they played kind of a, a double header against Wisconsin uh, and they went, they took Wisconsin to five sets. Mm-hmm. I remember it was, uh, it was August 30th. It was when I, I got back up to the press box after the volleyball day in Nebraska. And that mm-hmm. match was just finishing up and they led 13 to 12 in that fifth set before they gave up the final three points too. And then Wisconsin handed them uh, another defeat the next uh, the next, and I believe that was a full strength Wisconsin too, yes. which nobody has really beaten yet this season. Uh, and so Arkansas came as close as as anyone has to 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 beating Wisconsin. What I love talking about Arkansas, we we talked about them a, a a little bit a few shows ago, just because they they don't look like your quintessential um, all star volleyball team right now. They're undersized compared to most of their top teams. They have two outstanding outside hitters, Taylor Head and Jillian Gillen. But those players are five foot ten and five foot seven, respectively. So this is kind of an old school volleyball team um, that that is not are not going to blow you away with their size, but they are going to blow you away with their production. Um, also, they have two liberos on their roster that are taller than Jillian Gillen, a five foot seven outside hitter, and their setter is not super tall either. Hannah Hoax, five foot eight, but. Jillian Gillen and Taylor Head both average around four kills per set. Both of them are in the top five in the SEC in kills. And and these sort of smaller, undersized outside hitters can just scare you because they know how to get kills. I was thinking about this today, Lincoln. I don't know if you remember this. 
Um, there was a match a couple years ago where I believe it was Kenzie Knuckles, although it might have been Kenzie Maloney uh, in a DS role that um, got stuck playing in the front row when Nebraska ran out of subs in a set. You, you yes. seem like you remember. This. I know. I know exactly about it. It was against Minnesota and she blocked uh, the Big Ten player of the year, Stephanie Samity for right. match match point, I believe. And uh, yeah, it was so she got stuck and went up there. Kenzie Knuckles, also an incredible athlete, too. She well, played outside hitter. So. Right, and this was what I was getting at. Kenzie Knuckles was a was a DS and a libero at Nebraska, but in high school, she was a really talented outside hitter, and she was only maybe five foot seven or five foot eight. And I remember talking to them afterwards, or or hearing an interview. I forget which, but um, Knuckles was telling, I think it was uh, Nicklin Hames, like, "Hey, you need to set me in that rotation when we're like this." And Hames, like, "Are you insane? You're you're the libero." Well, she was a great outside hitter in high school. She knew how to tool blockers that were bigger yeah. than her. So just firing the ball off their hands and out of bounds. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter how big you are. You're going to get kills. Yeah. And she got some back row kills, too. I, I think that's what you saw. I mean, the shorter teams, too, you can't rely just on being bigger, being powerful. It takes a lot of skill set to be able to figure out how to terminate and use the use the opponents against them against themselves to find those kills too. So, uh, this I mean, it's a very skilled, very talented Arkansas team too. So mm -hmm. they don't get many blocks as you would expect, maybe from a team with their size, but they do have great floor defense. They lead the SEC in digs. They're they're better than a dig per game, better than the number two digging team in the SEC. Um, in their two meetings earlier with Kentucky. Uh, Gillen and Head combined for 47 kills in the five-set loss in Lexington, but then Kentucky did get their number in a sweep down in Fayetteville. Um, Arkansas hit below 100, just 096 in that meeting, and that was only a couple of weeks ago. So this is the team's third meeting in about a month and a half. Very similar, I think Nebraska played Wisconsin three times in about a month, um, a couple of years ago, and so you know it's hard for it's hard to beat a team three times in one season, but um, it does seem like Kentucky might, you know, these teams are going to be well scouted on each other. They're, no, they're going to know exactly what to expect. And so maybe it's going to be the team that is better at making adjustments throughout the match that's going to win this one. For sure. Yeah. And, and Arkansas has proven, I mean, we talk about how hot Kentucky has been all year, too. But Arkansas has proven uh, they're a, an elite team, too. Like we talked about, they've only they lost twice to Wisconsin, they lost twice to Kentucky. Their only loss this rest of the year was to a Georgia team who Sophie Fisher absolutely went off. She's a very dynamic middle blocker and took over that match. So um, they're a very good team. And I think Kentucky is favored, but it mm -hmm. will never I mean again. This is this is very similar to a Nebraska Wisconsin type of match, too, where they mm -hmm. They want they want to win this, and there's a little bit of rivalry there. And when your season's on the line, yeah, all stops are out. So Nebraska Nebraska gets the Southern Regional to to host that at the Devaney Center on Thursday. Arkansas Kentucky is going to be the second match. Right now, it's slated to start at three thirty. But if Nebraska and Georgia Tech goes long, you know that could get that could could get pushed on a little bit later. Um, let's take a look at rotation six. We have spent all of our time today talking about the Devaney Center regional there's so much there's so many fun matches that are going to be happening this weekend sweet 16 elite eight possibilities in other regions around the country and lincoln as you pointed out here in our in our show notes a lot of rematch potential you know sure. this is it's not like you have a bunch of teams outside of the lincoln regional that that haven't seen each other with nebraska and georgia tech i mean th these are teams that are getting together for the second maybe even the third time on the season 
Yeah. I mean, you know, there's are a couple other rematches happening in the regional semifinals. You have Wisconsin versus Penn State. Penn State handed Wisconsin one of their three losses this year, too. Uh, granted, they were no Wisconsin was not at full strength, um, and then you have another interconference r- r- uh, matchup between Stanford and Arizona State, and they split that series. Uh, so this is the rubber match for that one too. But we could have um, th- those are those, we know those are happening, but we could have an all rematch regional final set up. I mean, Nebraska Kentucky would be a rematch. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisville Pitt and down theirs and it's an ACC rematch. They've already played twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wisconsin Purdue. Another one of Wisconsin's losses they've played uh, this year, too. And Stanford and Texas, they've already played this year as well, too. So Who won uh, we, that one? I don't uh, remember St- that one. St- Stanford won in a sweep in early September. So mm-hmm. um, we could have, I mean, th- that's one versus two in every single, and, and one matchup of one versus three. So not out of the realm of possibilities. Mm-hmm. We could have all rematch regional finals. So, you know, the way you've pointed out here that the way college volleyball is kind of unique to, um, certainly football and and maybe even basketball to an extent is a lot of the top teams will play each other early in the year in non-conference. Do you like that compared to maybe an NCAA basketball format where, you know, Michigan state and North Carolina might not play until the regional final or the final four, or do you like a sport that, that kind of gives us these helmet matches uh, almost every week of the season? I I like it. I mean, I think it builds up the excitement about the sport and you get tested early out. You find out who's a contender, who's a pretender. Um, so I, I like when teams test it and they're willing to go on the road. I think that's one thing that not a lot of other teams are. I mean, in football, you, when you do see a lot of those marquee early season matchups, it's at a neutral site and it takes some of the fun out of it. But mm-hmm. like we said, Texas traveled to Stanford and played earlier in September, too. Um, Nebraska plays Stanford every year and they alternate between k- playing Kentucky and Louisville. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think it, I don't know. It's just it's just how the, the the teams work, but a lot more of these teams are playing each other uh, early on. And so I, I think it's going to be you see a little bit, I think, in women's basketball. So maybe it's a yeah. women's sports where they're just not afraid and they realize that to grow the sport, you need to put out the best product possible. I think that's a big part yeah. of it. That's a great point is they know they need these marquee matchups between top teams to get eyeballs on television and help grow that sport. So it's the women's sports who are maybe uh, willing to take a little bit more risks, uh, coaches who are willing to risk a, an early season loss. To, uh, and it, another thing it does is it gives you a chance to see who's really grown throughout the year. You know, mm-hmm. Kentucky is setting the world on fire right now. That's not the team that Nebraska saw back in September, who is still sort of trying to figure it out. You, you see Arkansas hosted uh, Wisconsin for a couple of matches too. And I think both teams really learned from that. Wisconsin was pushed and Arkansas. I think the fact that they were able to push Wisconsin proved that they are uh, an elite team, even though they haven't made the sweet 16 this millennium. Mm -hmm. So want to touch on a couple more teams that we, that we hadn't mentioned who were in the sweet 16 round that I think could be some dark horse candidates, but we're going to start with Creighton who I think has a real chance to beat Louisville. Um, Creighton is peaking at the right time as well for the first time. In quite a few years, they've got a full strength roster going into the Sweet 16, as we talked about in our chat with Kirsten Bernthal Booth um, over the weekend. So Creighton has a real chance to beat Louisville, and then they would most likely uh, be facing Pitt in the Elite Eight if they were able to make it there. Oregon breaks up the Big Ten Invitational in Madison. For this that's year. A, for this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Uh, so Oregon gets the early initiation, I guess, into the Big Ten by Very going good. to Madison for the Sweet 16. Oregon's a really fun team. They've got the Ohio State transfer, 
transfer Gabby Gonzalez, uh-huh. excuse me. Uh, Hannah Pukis, one of the best setters in the country, runs a great offense. So it's yeah. going to be um, kind of the the hang and bang of Purdue versus the speed of Oregon in the Sweet 16. Yeah, and don't and forget Tennessee. About, yeah, Mimi oh, sorry, Collier. Don't forget about Mimi Collier at Oregon too. I mean, she was uh, one of the national freshmen of the year too, and one of the best freshmen mm-hmm. a year ago. Now is a sophomore. Uh, Tennessee is going to be playing Texas out in the Stanford Regional. Tennessee's got a great setter in Caroline Kerr. They've got the Ohio State transfer Janasia Moore. Um, who can really go. And so, you know, you've got the SEC really headbutting some longtime college volleyball powers in the Sweet 16 this week. So any, anything else stick out from you from the regionals or any anybody else that you want to uh, keep an eye on? I think that yeah. Stanford-Arizona State match could be super interesting because yeah. we've seen Stanford like play with its food a little bit earlier in the tournament. Um, they, they went five in the second round win over Houston. They got swept by Arizona State earlier in the year, and then they turn around and they swept the Sun Devils in Palo Alto. So I, I think that Stanford or Arizona State is certainly going to have Stanford's attention. Can't imagine they're going to take them lightly. Whether that oh. translates into a victory, it remains to be seen. But but I still think Stanford's going to come out of that regional. Yeah, I think Stanford is locked in after going five sets against Houston uh, in the second round, too. So they may be ready to... Uh, pounce on Arizona State, and who they they have a really outstanding player, uh, Marta, uh, who is their outside hitter, who can really go off and take over. A yeah, match. The, their opposite is is someone who can you always got to be worried about. Yes, and uh, don't uh, forget to adjust the saturation levels on your TV when Tennessee and Texas play because there'll be so much orange. That's right. That, so various shades of orange. Thank you so much for joining us on Volleyball State today and getting ready to preview the regional round. Subscribe, review Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your great podcasts. Thank you so much for everyone who's subscribing and rating us and helping us be one of the most listened to volleyball podcasts in the country. Thanks as well to Bison Incorporated and the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union, proud sponsors of our show, and we're proud to support them as well. Thank you very much for helping them grow this platform and giving us a space to talk about volleyball. You can find us on social media at Volleyball Pod. That's where you can find us on Twitter. We hang out there during matches sometimes. You can also email the show, ask us for volleyball lessons for your family at volleyballstate at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter individually at by Jeff Sheldon. And you can find me on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. If you want to follow me on threads, I'm Lincoln A underscore VB. Uh, thanks to Podcast House Media and PodcastHouseMedia.com. And thanks uh, to Lee Feinswong. I forgot to put him on the list yes. of people to thank, too. Thank thanks, you, Lee. Lee. And we'll be back on Monday morning with a recap of the regional round of volleyball. So subscribe and listen, and we'll talk to you again next week. Next week.